So Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5, begin reading there down to verse 10. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth. Let's talk about your body. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. There's five categories there for anger. The Bible is very detailed in dealing with that subject. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him. Let's just finish out the sentence. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all. Amen. Hallelujah. Christ is all and in all. Let's have a word of prayer. Our God and Father, Lord, we come to you now and we pray that you would bless the reading and the preaching of your word. I pray that as we meditate on these things, Lord, that you'd help them to just get down deep into our hearts. And uh, I pray, Father, for all of us that we would all be continually experiencing this renewal, this progressive change uh, in our lives as we put off the old dirty clothes of the old life and uh, put on the new man, this new life that Christ wants to live through us. Pray that you'd bless now, Lord, and we, we lift up these requests to you, those that have been mentioned, Lord, by name. We pray for Bill. We pray for his health needs, Lord, but most of all that his soul would be healed. Lord, and that he would be saved. And we pray for Phil Miller as well. He has a great deal of needs right now. And Father, we just pray that you'd undertake for him, that he might know that someone's praying for him and that you are are there helping him. So we pray, Father, as the great physician, that you would heal and bless the medical treatments that they're receiving. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, when a person has been seriously ill and recovers, then we say, she's a new person, or he's a new person. A person is depressed, down in the dumps, in despair, moping in self-pity, and then something happens, and he, he falls in love, or, or a long-absent friend comes to see him, uh, or he has some kind of a career change, and his life is improved, he experiences some kind of success, and then we say, that made him a new man. We use those, those words. At a much deeper level, when, when we become new people, as we put off the old filthy clothes of the old man and the old life, and we put on the new life in Christ, we are made new. You are a new person in Christ. It happens the moment that you you get saved. And uh, when you are saved, uh, notice in verse number 8. 
Put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. I don't know about you, but that describes my life before I got saved. And uh, verse 9, lie not one to another. I don't know about you, but that describes my life before I got saved. Seeing that ye have put off the old man. Now notice, there seems to be a contradiction because in verse 8 it says, put off, right? This is something that you are to do as believers. Put off. Uh, when I was a kid, this probably happened to a lot of you. You ever, you ever come up to the front door, or maybe the patio sliding door uh, on your house, and you came, uh, you came from just tearing around through the countryside, and you're completely covered in mud and filth, and who knows what you have in your pockets, you know? And you've just been out playing hard and having a good time. I remember when I was a kid, me and my sister came back to the house, and we walked up onto the, onto the deck, and we wanted to come into the trailer, and Mom took one look at us. Just completely covered in mud, she tells us, from head to toe. And she said, excuse me for using this illustration, but strip, strip those clothes right now. You're not coming in the house like that. You know, and take the hose to you and everything. Anybody ever happened to anybody but me? Uh, that's what we're talking about here. God, when we get saved, he strips off the old filthy clothes of the old life. And, and, but, but it says here, you as a Christian, put off all these in verse 8. So it's telling us to do it now. But then notice in verse 10, it says that we have put on the new man. We already have put off the old man and have put on the new man. How can that be? Well, it's because when you get saved, you renounce the old life. You can't get saved unless you recognize that you're a dirty, filthy sinner. And when you recognize that you are a sinner, you look at that and you agree with God that it's wrong and you renounce it. You, you repent of it. You leave your sins behind. You turn from your sins and turn to God by faith in Jesus Christ and get gloriously saved. So you already do put off the old man and you say you want to put on the new man. You want to accept Christ as your savior. and You want to follow him. That happens the moment that you get saved and you are justified. I want to make sure I add that in there. Paul says that when we are saved, we are justified by faith. I'll just read to you Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you're justified, it's just as if you'd never sinned. You are imputed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ that he gained for us by his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his shed blood, and his victorious resurrection. The Bible says that by his resurrection we are justified. And so, literally, God puts that righteousness on your account, and you are just as pure and clean as any angel in heaven in God's sight, judicially, legally, in your standing before God. Your position is just perfect. But... Your practice is a different thing. Your daily practice. So that's how it could be said that you already have put on the new man. You already have put off the old man. But in your daily life, your daily walk, you must put off and then put something on. Uh, I, Isaiah 
61.10 says, I will, be, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. So praise God, we have the garments of salvation. But we need to, you know, as you look at verse 8 and you read those things, and you look at verse 5 and you read those things, in our daily life there's this progressive, continual renewal. Notice that word renewal comes from verse 10, which is renewed. The new man that we have now, which is... Christ in us, our spirit is made alive, and Christ wants to live his life through us. This new man is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And this is a continual, progressive renewal. But when you read things like verse 5, mortify, put to death, that's what it means. Mortify therefore your members. I was reading, uh, well, I was listening to something about Moldova And in the 80s, you know, the late 80s, the world changed. And we had a lot of countries in Europe and around that area uh, throwing off the the communist dictatorships that were uh, just strangling their countries. And uh, either by executing their leaders or by uh, civil wars and bloody battles. But one way or another, uh, they were just getting rid of their communist leaders and then starting a democracy. And uh, Moldova is one case in which they executed their communist leader so that they could have a, a democracy and have freedoms. Uh, and and that's, that's what we're looking at here. You need to put to death, execute the old man, the old ways, the old life. It, it's, it takes a serious death blow. I mean, we're, it's, it's something that's a uh, it's going to take effort. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a fight. Therefore, mortify your members, which are upon the earth. Now listen, he's saying fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence. One commentary uh, lists these words to help us to understand this. That's talking about sexual immorality. Talking about dirty-mindedness. Talking about uncontrolled passions evil desires, and a lust for other people's things. That's what it's talking about. And when we read that, uh, you know, if you were to, say, read that in a college classroom, they would call you puritanical. And they would say that your ideas are out of date, that you are a joy killer. And uh, this world and this, this country, but not just this country, but this world has been busy since the 60s throwing off the constraints of these kind of words and ideas. And, and they've been doing it in the name of being able to freely express yourself. And as a result of some perverted adults who wanted to freely express themselves, uh, these sins have corrupted our society down to the youngest level. To the point to where you have children, three, four, and five years old, doing these things. 
These, these bad habits are ingrained into their lives at the point when they're developing their character. And they say by four or five, your character is fixed. Uh, and, but for the grace of God. But for the grace of God. But these sins are not out of date. They're not puritanical. They're as modern as McDonald's hamburgers and Facebook. This is right up to date. Sexual immorality is rampant in our culture. It destroys persons. It shatters homes. It's, it's caused the breakup of the family. This is the reason why churches are closing at a great rate in this country. This is the reason why they say there's only 17 point something percent of Americans that are actually faithfully attending church on Sunday mornings. They say there's a lot of reasons why this could be, but I think one of the greatest reasons is because of the breakup of the family. And I'm going to tell you, the breakup of the family is a result of men and women and boys and girls having no control, throwing off the constraints of these things here. And it says in verse 6, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Now that's not Christians who are disobedient. That's describing people, unbelievers in this world. Children of the devil. Those who are disobedient. And that's not you. If you're saved here today and you say, but I've, I'm saved and I have done some of these things. That's not talking about you. That's talking about unbelievers. In verse 7 it says, In the which ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them before you got saved. Before you put on the new man. So these children of disobedience out in the world doing these things, they have the wrath of God on them. You know, uh, we've created a promiscuous society in this country, and it's driven by sexual passions. Um, it's, it's rampant. Pornography is rampant. Um, it's everywhere. You, you, you see sex symbols used to sell everything. Even in children's cartoons, the women are drawn in such a way, or the female characters are drawn in such a way to, be, to sexualize them. Uh, children, in this country, um, I, I've just been, the Lord has sort of opened up my eyes recently to this. And I talk to family members, I talk to friends, I talk to people that I'm associated with, with the House of Samuel, the agency that helps us to adopt. And um, it's rampant. In fostering cases, around 95, and they think maybe as high as 98% of children in foster care have been sexually abused or are involved in some sort of incestuous relationship. It's not just in West Virginia. We make jokes about that. It's in Ohio, all over the place. You say, what's the problem? Children left to themselves left to themselves to find the pornography that the adults have in their homes, to learn and then to experiment on one another. This creates children who are all messed up in their head, and then they go to school and they tell them it's normal. And then when they become adults, they become the uncle that abused me when I was a child, or the aunt that abused me when I was a child. Or they turn children into predators, where children are 
making unwanted advances on other children while they're staying at their house for the weekend. It is all over the place. And yes, it is curiosity. And yes, we are sexual beings. But you just realize that there was a time in this country where these things, these things weren't happening like they're happening now. This is increasing and getting worse. When my dad was a boy, these things happened occasionally. And when it did, it was shocking. Now, I'm not shocking you at all this morning. Because it's so rampant. It's so common. And that means this. What I'm saying is, I'm not saying this to condemn us. I'm saying this. Paul's saying that we can change. (laughs) Paul's saying we can put off and put on. So Paul, you're telling me that if I was exposed to this stuff when I was a kid and did all these things and incurred the wrath of God on my life, was disobedient, you, you realize that God still holds people accountable to the book of Genesis, right? Even if they're not saved. You mean if I was disobedient, that I can put that off and I can put on clean clothes and be clothed with the garments of salvation? And then when I struggle for the rest of my life because I've been exposed to these things, you can tell me that when I struggle with these things and when I, when I get married and because of my addiction to pornography, I don't have the relationship with my wife that I have. You mean to tell me that that can be fixed, that there's help for me, that I can be delivered from my selfishness to have a normal, uh, healthy relationship. You realize that, right? That this ruins marriages. You realize that? But that's, that's the thing is Paul is saying, yes, you can put these things off and you can put on. These new clothes. And it's a continual process. You can be renewed. I have a pastor friend, and he's maybe a little bit more advanced on this thing than most pastors. But he says that he gave the statistics of how many men are addicted to pornography. And the reason being is because they started when they were kids. And how many men, even in his church, who are saved, still struggle with it. And so he, he started a group. And I don't know that I'd ever want to be a part of a group like this, but it's an accountability group. And, and what it is, is that men who admit to having a problem with pornography and want to be delivered from it, Christian men, can meet on a weekly basis. But listen, I think they need to start a group for women too. But they, they meet on a weekly basis and they flat ask each other, have you dabbled with pornography? Because you know what the problem is? It's ruining their marriages. Men uh, who are selfishly excluding their wife from that normal relationship. And uh, therefore, their wives are not being taken care of. Men who are not loving their wives with normal, natural affection. Hugs, kisses, glad to see you, playing around, having fun in the house in front of the kids. All that, that's, that's missing. Because they have a problem and so they have to get together with accountability and say, look, I haven't done it this week, praise God. And, and uh, I'm working on also trying to establish a better relationship with my wife and repent of my selfishness and uh, date my wife and, and uh, make sure that there's a romantic you know, flair to our marriage and so on and so forth. Because the, the, the marriage breakup and the family breakup is, is almost greater. I'm, I can't believe it. In churches, Christians... 
have a greater, are starting to have a greater rate of divorce and breakup in the home. Christians. And you say, why is that? It's because we all have the same problems. Everybody in the world has the same problems. Here's the difference. A lost man cannot change. Yes, he can change some of his habits. But a lost man fundamentally cannot change these things. A Christian can. A Christian can put off and put on. Now, every year, people make resolutions to change, don't they? Every year. I'm going to change this this year and that year. And, and then you get to the point where, ah, forget about it. And you stop making resolutions at New Year's. But they want to develop new habits. Most people fail to follow through with that. They say, I'm going to exercise 30 minutes per day. That'd be a good thing, and you should, and I should. 30 minutes a day of exercise. 15 minutes of reading would sharpen your mind, keep you sharp. That's a great habit to develop, and you can develop that habit if you put yourself you know, to it. But how do we develop godly habits that protect us from these things and lead to maturity, lead to a God-honoring life, and keeps the family and the marriage together? How do we develop these habits? I have just a few things that I think will help because it doesn't do much good if I just, you know, uh, basically just rip a Band-Aid off and say, look, there's a problem and it doesn't honor God. It wouldn't be very good if I didn't say, well, here's how we can correct it. Here's how we can, we can fix that. The immorality, the dirty-mindedness, the uncontrolled passions... The lust for other people's goods, covetousness, which is idolatry. Not just that, but the, the anger in verse 8. Notice in 8, uh, the word anger, that's the emotion. Wrath is when you actually act on the emotion. It's gone from being something that you feel inside. It's bubbled over, boiled over, and now you've acted on it in wrath. Uh, this is becoming a whole lot more common. Uh, malice, what is malice? You're thinking ill of others. You're plotting on them. You're just, you can't stop thinking about them. And, and the more you think about them, the more you just want to go and act on that. And you're just wishing them ill. Blasphemy, what's that? You can blaspheme God. You can blaspheme people. It's filthy communication is what it is. I, I don't have to alliterate or elaborate on that, but we all learn those words. It's blasphemous words that we use as weapons against other people before we get saved. And we can just blurt out a whole string of them, you know, to, to blaspheme somebody, to tear them down. God says that that's filthy and you shouldn't do it as a Christian. And then lying one to another. I want you just to see this. Would you hold your place there? I want you to see this. Revelation. We think a lie is a small thing. God just put it after all those really bad things. Things we know are bad. Um, there's a reason why people clean up their, their language when they, when they realize there's a preacher around. When they realize there's a, you know, a real Christian around. They, they clean up their language because they know it's bad. But a lot of people, they think lying is no big deal. Um, sometimes it's necessary. Like, I heard a, a comedian talking about lying. Like, if you have kids, he said, you just, you have to lie. If you have kids, you know. Talking about eating ice cream, he's like, you wouldn't like this ice cream, it's spicy. You know, Santa says you can't do it. And he goes on about it. It is pretty funny. But uh, we, th we think of lies as being a, a very small thing, but it's not. Look, look in Revelation 21, verse 27. 
Now this is talking about New Jerusalem. And who's going to get to go into this holy city and who will be excluded? Verse 27, There shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth. Anything that's dirty. I'm going to get anything else dirty. Boy, you could just preach on that. Neither whatsoever worketh abomination. That's real bad stuff. Sick stuff. Gross stuff. God hates those things. Or maketh a lie. Do you see that? Some people are good at making up lies. Some people are better at lying than others. They're real good at it. Like they fool me. Good at it. But they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see how serious a lie is? Uh, You could see it also in verse 12 of chapter 22. Behold, I come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers, that's drug use, and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters. And whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and the morning star. So back at Colossians 3, there's a lot that I could say about promiscuity in our culture. Uh, Some things I even thought of saying this morning, but I'm not going to with a mixed congregation this morning, but you all know, all you have to do is go to a pool party at the country club on a Saturday and just watch the crowd that comes in there. And uh, you see what what you're dealing with, a promiscuous society. Now, how do we deal with these habits? You say, I used to be like this, and the Lord has convicted me, and now I don't want to be promiscuous. I want to be modest. I want to have one monogamous, heterosexual relationship inside of marriage, and I want that to be a happy, filled with romance, uh, fulfilling life, and I want to be able to model love for a a husband and a wife before the children, and I want to truly be able to love them the way that I need to. So how do I do that? How do I change my habits? How do I stop with the anger? You may really battle with that. How do I deal with that? What if I have a problem sometimes with filthy communication or lying? Uh, How do I deal with this? Okay, You have to put off. You have to replace something bad with something good. If you say, I'm just going to stop doing these things. If you take away something bad, guess what? It becomes a vacuum. And eventually, it'll suck you in. You've got to take away something and then put something on. You've got to replace it with something good. But, first of all, there needs to be a desire to develop godly habits. You have to have the desire. I'm going to go through these quick. You, you have to want to grow in this area, whatever it is that the Lord might have put his finger on. You have to want to grow. If you don't have the want to, we can't go any further. 
You know, you have to, that it starts there. A personal desire to want to change, to get it out of your life, to mortify it, to put it to death. You have to, you have to see, I think in order to have this desire, that the problem is within us. It's not merely environmental. It's not just what you've been exposed to. The problem is within. It's not just the devil. A lot of people say, well, the devil made me do it. No. The problem is within. James, he said, but every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. So as a Christian, you have the ability to change, but you have to have the desire to do it and recognize, now the problem is with me. When lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin. When sin is finished, it bringeth forth death. You have to want to change. Do you have the desire? And then if you have the desire... You must decide to start changing right now. Right now. You're in a spiritual atmosphere. The Word of God is being preached. The Lord has me preaching this message today. The Holy Spirit has dealt with you about something, maybe. You have to change. You can decide to change right now. And it's just as simple as confessing it and saying, Lord, help me to stop doing this. I I have faith to believe right now that if I put off these old things, that I can put on these new things and be renewed. And listen, it's it's a process. It's a process. But every journey begins with one step. Right? You're going on vacation. What are you going to do when you go on vacation? I have a desire to go on vacation. Well, then you decide to go on vacation. And you take that first step of whatever you're doing, you know, saving up for it or booking the hotel or you know, renting the vehicle or whatever. Taking the car in, having it looked at so you know it's roadworthy and do some preventative maintenance. You, take, you decide to do it and then you start acting on that decision. But there's that, that first step... That's where new habits... You know, I realized as a Christian one day that I wasn't reading my Bible daily. And I, I didn't have a quiet time. I didn't have a time where I got alone with the Lord and prayed and read my Bible. I wasn't aware of it till the preacher preached on it one day. And so I made that decision right then and there. I'm going to start reading three or four chapters of my Bible every day. I had a desire to do it. And then I decided that I would do it. And then God honored that decision and then therefore helped me to do it by His grace, helped me to do it. It was the same thing with tithing. It was the same thing with being a personal witness. I had a desire to see other people saved and I even made the decision, I am going to do something. I might not be good at it, but I'm going to do something. I'm going to go fishing. I'm going to keep putting my hook in the water with some bait on it until I finally catch a fish. But I made a decision that I would do it. And that decision led to me memorizing the necessary verses and knowing a basic plan of how to lead somebody to Christ. You've got to make the decision. If you just sit here and hear this and say, okay, well, I'm going to go have some lunch. Nothing will change. And then I would encourage you to make a declaration. That is, tell others about what you're doing. Let's just say that you struggle with pornography. Find somebody. Don't stand up in this meeting and tell us, please. Please. Find somebody 
maybe older than you, or if you are a full-grown adult, find a peer, somebody who's a little stronger than you in the faith, and just tell them all about it. Say, listen, I got something I got to tell you. It's going to shock you a little bit, but I'm so serious about this. I want it to change. And I need to tell you about it. And I need to be accountable to you. Would you do that for me? And on a weekly basis, would you call me and ask me, are you clean? Would you do that every week? And would you, would you pray for me? Declare it to somebody. Be accountable to them. I don't think necessarily a spouse, but a spouse can work. But it helps to have other people looking over your shoulder because we're just weak. We're just who we are. It helps. Um, I, w- I would be more than willing to do that, but just find somebody that you're comfortable enough with. You know, I, I remember being in a meeting, and a man, a brother that, uh, that I, I liked and, and uh, have nothing against him, and I don't say this to put him down at all, um, but uh, I saw him go up at the end of the meeting, and I, I appreciated what he did. He went up to the altar. You know what that is in the church, right? Usually there's like a rail up the front of the church. He went up to the altar, and, uh, and I was in church you know, on the staff, and so if somebody went to the altar, man, I was like beelining for them. I wanted to, if, if they wanted me to pray with them, if I could lead them to Christ, whatever. But uh, he went up there, and he took a pack of cigarettes out of his pocket, smacked it down on that altar, and then just started praying, and he was just really doing business with God, so I left, left it alone. And afterward, I just went up to him and I said, I was praying for you while you're up there too, and I just want to let you know, you know, God can deliver you the, from this, and He's delivered me from it, and so on and so forth. But you know what? God bless him for doing that. But he didn't keep coming back to church. You need to declare it to somebody and have somebody who will hold you accountable. If he would have kept coming back to church week after week, I could have said, how are you doing with that commitment that you made to the Lord? How are you doing putting off that dirty habit and putting on a new habit of something else? But he didn't keep coming back and and he uh, struggled and kind of slipped back into it. So you need to declare it to somebody. You need to bear uh, you need to have somebody help you bear your burden. That's biblical. Galatians chapter 6. Fourth, determination. You have to have a desire. You have to make the decision. You have to declare it to someone else. And then you have to be determined. You say, why is that? Don't allow for any exceptions. Well, I'll just, I'll just do it this one time. And then once I do, then the pressure will be off, you know. And, and don't, don't allow for any exceptions. Because every time you do it, the habit gets stronger. So you have to stop. You have to continue in this decision that you made. It's essential. Uh, You know what they say. They say 21 repetitions of a thing can make it a new habit. If you decided every morning, as soon as I wake up, I'm going to exercise for 20 or 30 minutes and work up a sweat. It's going to take 21 days to do that. Pray for me. I'm in need of prayer. I need to do that. 21 days. That's what they say, and you will learn a new habit. But we're not just talking about habits that can be changed just the way that anybody else can do it. Let me take you to this passage, Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, would you look at it? I want you to see this. It's only through Christ. Only Christians have the ability to change, and it's only through Christ that you can change these things, because we're talking about the old nature. You realize when you get saved, you have two natures. You have the old nature that you always had, 
And it doesn't go away when you get saved. Those same desires are there. The things you've been exposed to, the habits you've formed, they're still there. But the thing that's changed is you have a new man on the inside. That's Christ. Your spirit has been made alive. You've been born again. And now you have this ability to put off and to put on. You have that ability in Christ. And it's only by Christ that we can do these things. Look at verse 15. This is one of those tongue twister passages in the Bible. And Paul's talking about how he was dealing with the struggle within himself after being a Christian for many years. This struggle. And he recognizes it. And it comforts me to know that he had that struggle. And just like I have. So verse 15. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. He's like, I do it, I don't, I want to, I can't. Um, What I don't want to do, I do. And there's no more I that do it, he said. But sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will in my mind I want to serve Christ. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. So don't just rely on, oh, 21 days and I'll start a new habit. But how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, verse 19, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Said it again. Find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. I'm telling you, you have two natures if you're saved. The old sinful nature, the old life, and the new man, the new life in Christ. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring. That's a very real struggle daily. Warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God that through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hallelujah. There is a positive end on that. There's a punctuation mark. Christ Jesus can deliver us from that struggle. And it's a progressive thing. It takes time, so have grace with yourself, have grace with others. But you've got to be determined, man, to keep fighting the good fight. And then, fifthly, just do it. Seize every opportunity to reinforce this new habit, calling upon the Lord, uh, leaning on Him, seeking Him for strength, and just do it again, and do it again, that, that good habit. Keep doing it. In other words, keep coming to church. I know it goes without saying, but this is a good habit. (laughs) It's no small matter. Sixthly, double up. Ask someone to partner with you, to join you in developing the new habit. If it's Bible reading, ask somebody to do it with you. Follow the same plan with them or something like that. Two are better than one, Ecclesiastes says. It is more difficult to quit when somebody else is doing it with you and they know. Like if I uh, were to start, um, one time I started doing Frisbee golf just for exercise. I had my brother-in-law down in Florida. He was doing Frisbee golf too. They got these things all over the place, these, these courses. 
And it's a lot of fun. It's good exercise and so on. And we were doing it together and comparing our scores and stats and stuff like that for a while. And then we, we both got out of it. We got busy and things changed. But double up with somebody. I heard about a preacher. <clears throat> he started the 928 ministry. He's a Baptist mid-missions president. And what he does is he asks people to pray every day and set an alarm on your phone to go off at 928 a.m., 9.28 p.m., and when it goes off, pray. You know what Matthew 9.28 says, right? Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers. So they're praying for laborers, missionaries, church planters. And so uh, he asks somebody else to do that with him. He, he doubles up. Whenever he's with somebody and it's 9.28 a.m. and his phone goes off, whoever's talking in the room, he asks them, would you please pray for laborers? Just a way of doubling up of ensuring that you will keep doing it. Seventhly and lastly, depend on God to help you. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Whenever you are tempted, whenever you're leaning towards the old man and going that way, just stop. Get alone with the Lord and pray. If it's anger, that's going to help you out anyways. If you stop and get alone with the Lord, you'll cool down. Um... And then I would say this, if you have a problem with anger and sometimes you kind of blow it, just tell the kids, I blew it, it wasn't right, and I'm going to go be by myself now because that's what I do when I lose my temper. I, I, get, I get apart and alone till I cool down, and that would teach them a good way of handling anger when they get older anyways. But uh, seek help in prayer right away, right away when you're tempted. Put on the new man. That's the life that Christ wants to live through you. And I would just say this, don't give up. Could we stand to our feet with our heads bowed? Don't give up. A just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. A just man, a just man falls. We're going to fall, but it's a continual process of allowing God to put off the old, put on the new. Hebrews 12 verse 4 says, Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. We need to resist and strive against it. If you change your habits, you change your life. Of course, it's the life which you now live in Christ. So how about it today? I don't know what the Lord might have spoken to you about. I know what He spoke to me about in preparation for this. Do you have the desire to change? Would you tell the Lord about it and say, Lord, I'm making a decision right now. It's enough. I'm going to take off the filthy clothing of that, that habit, whatever, whatever it is. And I want to put on the new man. I want to put on the life of Christ. What would Christ want me to do in this situation? What could I do that would make me look more like Christ and a follower of Him? I want to be clothed with the garments of my salvation. God, please give me victory. Victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Lord, I thank you for this message. I thank you for these truths and for this, this helpful outline. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us. Lord, pray for our families, for the marital relationships. Pray for our children. They're up against so much in this world. And I thank you, Lord, that... When the problems seem great, seem like mountains, Lord, you're bigger than the mountain. I thank you for the difference 
that you've made in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What's our song? 489.